Thank you all for coming. Thank you um, for your patience with doing an introduction and a, a land acknowledgement. And uh, today we want to get started. Uh, so for some of our newer folks, thank you for joining us. Um, a little history of this book club. It actually started in 2016 um, with 12 Community Safety Initiative, a nonprofit that's in the Greater Forest Lawn area. I was their Indigenous liaison, and that was kind of our launch to do more Indigenous local events for our Greater Forest Lawn area. Um, at times, we partnered with Calgary Library, but um, we found that, you know, over the course of time, it's just become better to, you know, do this online in the middle of a global pandemic that's disproportionately affecting Indigenous people. And then conversely, now we can go national. You know, before they really asked you to have a, a library card and to register, and that really seemed to be a barrier for a lot of folks. So, you know, now we can go national. So if you have friends across the country that you want to encourage them to join this book club, I highly recommend it, uh, specifically with the topic that we have today. This is being recorded. Again, with the caveat that folks who don't feel comfortable um, saying something, we will easily pause it so that uh, we create the safest space we can in a time of uh, <laughs> recording. Uh, we've tried to um, activate the closed captioning for folks with uh, that would prefer reading and uh, yeah, go from there. So I am Michelle Robinson. I'm Satu Denny. I am. Um, have an Indian Act and Post Status card by the Canadian government that says Yellow Knives Denny, but my uh, tribe, as my Denny elder told me, is the Great Bear Lake people, the Great Bear Lake tribe. Those are my people. But I was born here in Calgary, and um, my, unfortunately, my my family was displaced through economic reasons in um, Indian residential schools, all of those awful reasons. So I was born here in Calgary. And, uh, you know, that's, that's my story. Like many other Indigenous folks, urban Indigenous folks, they have, uh, you know, reasons that they're in an urban setting, usually for Western colonial economic reasons. And, uh, yeah, we're just going to try to unpack a little bit of that. So today's topic, uh, we had started our book club, we had done the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action. We did it in sections, we did it the books. And now in 2022, we are going to finally start the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women National Inquiry. And uh, we decided that we'd start with chapters one and two. And for folks who are online and watching this, the inquiry report, it, although it looks pretty, pretty wild, it's, um, it's free, it's available online, it's a PDF. So uh, I know getting a printed copy, this is like a holy grail Bible. So I'm going to guard it with my life and bring it into boardrooms to folks who need reminding about the inquiry. But in the meantime, um, we're lucky enough to get started on chapters one and two. And actually uh, that's a lot because I didn't even get through all of it. I went, I've gone through 108 pages, but that's not, that's just starting the first bit here, because the introduction and forward is 108 pages already. So I didn't even get into full the full part of it yet. So, but I know it really well because I advocate for it and I've read, I've skimmed it many times and I've read the, um, the book once, but I need refreshing after two bouts of COVID. 
So uh, for folks who don't know, I'm the co-chair for the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women Calgary Committee. We just had Red Dress Day on uh, May 5th. A lot of June events coming up. Uh, October 4th will be the next Sisters in Spirit Vigil. And uh, that's an important date for folks who don't know. So you can mark that date on your calendar annually, like you would any other Remembrance Day. Um, same with uh, Red Dress Day. Those are really important dates. And then um, that, uh, Valentine's Day, we always do a march, a missing and murdered uh, memorial march for all of all. And it's supposed to be all women, not just Indigenous women, but because it disproportionately impacts Indigenous women, it's been founded and ran by Indigenous women. So you're, those are three dates that are really important. I've never celebrated um, Valentine's Day since the marches started here in Calgary, and I probably never will. Um, even if I moved to a place like Lethbridge, which I did, I joined their marches, right? Because these are national. So, and they're really important. So, you know, here in this circle, we believe in Indigenous people speaking first. Um, Kathy, I invite you to take the mic and um, talk about whatever you'd like to talk about. Hi, my name is Kathy Bear. I'm uh, a half-breed Cree from uh, Muskoday First Nation, Northern Saskatchewan. Um, I've been here in Calgary since 2007, and I'm actually taking a little bit of Blackfoot foot, um, classes right now. So I've actually learned Actually, you know more Blackfoot than I know Cree, which is kind of sad, but um, she's, she's a really good teacher. Um, anyway, I, uh, I managed to get through all of it, the, the, all the introduction and the, and the two chapters, um, but I didn't take notes for the first chapter and all the introduction because I was laying in bed reading. Um, but I did uh, write down a couple of things. So I'm hoping that maybe since you have a hard copy book, Michelle, would you be able to uh, read a couple of things that I point out when I, when I get to them? Um, one of the first things I wanna say is how I really like how they chose the word encounters because it, it's just, um, I found that a really comforting language because yeah, it all depends on, on the outcome of the encounter, whether it's good or bad. So I, I really, I liked that word, the word that they talked about um, encounters. I can't remember where I saw the, it was somewhere in the first few pages where they were talking about a transgendered fellow um, being strip searched by police. Um, that really hit home to me because when I was 15, I was at the Edmonton uh, Klondike days and I was smoking hash and got busted, me and my friend. And because I wasn't cooperating, I didn't want to talk to the police. The male police strip searched me in a room in a trailer with the doors open. The public walking outside could see in. They only brought a woman in to do the stretch your cheeks, bend over and cough part. That's when they brought the woman in. Otherwise they completely stripped me of men with the door open. I was only 15, so I never lodged any complaints about that. Um, but it still bothers me to this day that 
they chose to impose their power on a child. I was only 15 years old, just barely turned 15. Would they have done that to a white person? I highly doubt it. They did it because they had the power and they wanted to teach an indigenous child to respect them and their authority. Um, so that really hit home when, when they talked about um, they were lighting off firecrackers. Like that would be pretty scary because you wouldn't know if that was like a gun, if they were shooting at you or something like that, that whole story that, that the person related, that was just really hit home. Um, because I just know how bad the police can be. I've had a few crazy incidents with police, RCMP and police officers. Um, and then on page. Uh, Kathy, what? I can read that because I have it up here. Um, it's on page 97. Um, okay. In her testimony, Jamie LJ descriptions of the violent racist and transphobic treatment she was confronted with from the police demonstrates how for Indigenous women and two-spirit lesbian, gay, bisexual, uh, transgender, questioning, queer, uh, intersect, and a people, I apologize, um, inequality in relationships is often reasserted and expressed not only by dismissive attitudes, but also by threats of violence and harm. It was near Halloween and they, the police, began throwing off firecrackers and I was sort of jumping around and I didn't know what was going around. I imagine they were trying to frighten me and they were making disparaging jokes about me. They did a strip search, including, you know, making me take off my brassiere. And of course I had falsies on and they were making horrible jokes about that and tossing them around. And it was just a humiliating experience. Yeah, yeah, that's um, that's all they want to do. They just want to uh, basically humiliate you to teach you a lesson. And it's so sad that people do that. So that was a, a very negative encounter for that person and for myself when I was a kid. Then there was on page 123, I marked down the last full paragraph. I never put any notes, but I really, um, something about that last par full paragraph on page 123. I can read home. that here. Um, just give me one second here. Okay. Um, so kind of does a conversation about Faye Blaney um, and how she believes in the power of Indigenous women working together and coming up with solutions. And she says, whenever we talk about women's issues, they bring up, well, what about balance? And I think that they really need to look at the fact that there's zero balance in our community. Someone got to open their mouth and say that, but there's no balance right now. It's men control of private sphere and public sphere. And the private sphere is our family unit where, you know, we have our Indian status because of the men in our lives. I have status because of my husband. And before that I had status because of my father. And so in our world, men hold all the cards and we hold none. So I think it's really important to look at uh, what we're talking about when we say balance and let's bring balance back, I say. Let's decolonize by bringing our matriarchal traditions back. As Faye's testimony reveals, part of the understanding 
the right of self-determination is understanding how patriarchal institutions have worked and over the course of colonization and today keep women and two-spirit people out of the decision-making uh, process. There's more. Do you want me to continue? Um, I think that's good. I, I, I just wrote down the last full paragraph on that page was meaningful to me. So um, I just, for myself, I... I've been totally colonized. I was raised by uh, uh, my German father. Um, so my, uh, the colonization was pretty complete by the time I became an adult. And so I don't know my culture. And what I've learned is that women are revered and at the center of most indigenous um, communities in, in, in Turtle Island here. So for men to be so dominating, that's just, to me, that just points to the fact that we're, that the colonization has been complete, you know, like reading all of this reminded me of like that Star Trek, you will be assimilated, uh, you know, like it was just like, oh my gosh, you know, like um, resistance is futile, but it's not because, you know, uh, indigenous women have been resisting for a long time and, we've managed to survive all this time. Um, then I think on page 144, I think the computer in the book might have different pages. So that was the problem when, when on some of them, but I think it's page 144 where Emma LaRock talks about culture is not immutable. Like that, why I found quite, quite uh, you know, I agree with you, Kathy. Um, the last quote um, on this whole conclusion of bringing it together in the last part, Indigenous women are not vulnerable. Indigenous women are targeted in secular society for violence. And like, just to kind of add to what you're saying about colonialism, but uh, your second part here about um, Indigenous scholar Emma LaRock argues, Culture is not immutable and tradition cannot be expected by always of value or relevant even in our times. As, in, as Native women, we are faced with very difficult and painful choices, but nonetheless, we are challenged to change, create, and embrace traditions consistent with contemporary and international human rights standards. Yeah, and then and then Kim Anderson say, basically says the same thing a little bit farther on, where she says traditions are created uh, within and adapted to a particular place and time. Not they do not exist in a vacuum. Um, you know, like that's. I find that a lot of tradition that I've noticed is is what. Um, men have been using an indigenous men, unfortunately, uh, to try and keep women in their place because like I said, colonization has been pretty well complete, you know, like it's, it's sad when our own men fight to keep us down. Like it, it's just, um, it's just really sad because they were our protectors. That was always their job was to protect the women and the community, not, not try to grab power like the Europeans have taught them. Like that's not the way we are, you know. Um, oh, and then um, on page one forty six, where and and something. And Mar shares. My mom lived on the land, and she would live in Simpson Creek, dry fish. 
Every summer we came out of that prison camp of residential school. She was drying fish, making dry mead, making moose hide. I would sit there with little mosquito tent and read my true confessions and my mom would be working really hard to feed me. And people would come to the highway. She taught me how to be generous. She gave, she gave fish, she gave dry meat. They stopped for coffee, they stopped for tea. She'd feed them and she'd cook them bannock. And that's who we are as Dene. You don't teach these things, you live these things. Yeah, like she goes on farther. It says something about our people. And then I just put dots. They want to go on the land. That's where they want to be. That's where they want to heal themselves. And that really hits home to me because when I was a kid, I lived in a um, pretty bad poverty. And I had never left the city of Edmonton until I was 13 years old. Um, and all that time I wanted to to get away from the city and get to the land. Um, I never realized what a drive it was. Like it's instinctual for indigenous people to, to connect with the land. It makes you feel whole. Um, I remember the first time being in the mountains and feeling the mountain wind and hearing the breeze. Like you don't hear, you don't feel those things in a concrete jungle, you just don't. And it was just so moving to me to finally get out to Jasper and, and to actually connect with nature a little bit for a weekend. Um, and then on page 157, there was an, um, a Mi'kmaq elder, McGamagan, where they're talking about, so when she is feeling worthy and that worthiness can only come from if you have a secure, solid cultural foundation and our identity, a positive identity about ourselves, then we have a sense of self, a sense of pride. Um, that's just a, a small part of her quote, but I really, um, that made a, a lot of sense to me because, I mean, being raised by my German father, he was very racist. I don't know why he ever got together with my mother because he obviously had no um, love for the Indian, that's for sure. But he taught me to be embarrassed of myself all the time. And then as I got older um, and I learned about, you know, what the Germans did in World War II, it was like I became very depressed because it seemed like, you know, I was raised from childhood to, to be embarrassed about being indigenous. And then yet, was I supposed to be proud of being German? I don't think so. So I found that recently, just coming to the realization that I shouldn't be embarrassed about being indigenous at all. Like, we're pretty fucking awesome people. Sorry for the language, but we are. And I'm like, I might not know much about my culture, but just being and knowing that I'm Indigenous has started to change my, my, my self-image. Um, so when she talks about that, that the, a secure, solid cultural foundation, I just think, wow, if I had actually been raised in my culture, how much more awesome would I be? You know, like that's just, I mean... It's just something to look forward to as I as I learn on my journey here and become um, more 
involved in my culture, I can see my life getting a lot better. It's just too bad that so much of my life is over already, but. Um, and then what else? Okay, and then on page uh, 174, when Professor Brendan Gunn, when I think about collective governance in many indigenous communities, how I understand it, it was never sacrificing individual identity or being or rights for the collective, but it was how the collective was responsible for protecting the individuals and how the individual contributed and was part of the collective. I thought, I just find that very beautiful. You know, it's just so night and day compared to, you know, colonization and the European way. Um, I just pray that our people can get back to that one day because like my res is just so dysfunctional. It, it makes me really sad. Um, I don't know how we can fix things. It's really hard to when you to go from such a, a place of dysfunction. I don't even know where to start. And because I've been away from my reservation all this time, I've never actually really lived on the res because the Canadian government took me away from my mother and said, oh, get raised by this hundred year old pedophile, basically. Um, yeah. It was, uh, I, I really would like to help my reserve and, and help my people. So I found that really how, you, how the individual contributed and was part of our collective. Um, yeah, I, I just think I, I, I have to start finding ways that I can give back, you know, like it's important because, we're at such a bad place on my res. It's just so bad. They they break into seniors' places when they're alone, or even when they're home, they get broken into and terrorized. And <clears throat> so somehow, somehow we have to fight. We can't just throw our hands up in the air and say, "Oh well, this is the way it is." We we've got to find a way to get back to to the good life, the good way of living that's been taken away from us. Um, yeah, and then uh, the only other thing I wrote, respect, recipro reciprocity. That's it, and interconnectedness. I just love how they, they talk about those three words through the whole first uh, introduction and the first chapter or two, like those, those really are very good. Um, I don't remember. I just wrote those words because they they just uh, they keep they kept repeating it through the book, and I I really understand understand a, a lot more now about about those words and how they meant them at the start of the book. I was like, you know, just skimmed through those, but by the end of the second chapter, I was like, going, yeah, okay, I understand now. Like it does make sense. I'm just sorry I didn't take better notes because it's hard when you don't have a hard copy book to, you know, like, and yeah. So hopefully one day I'll find a hard copy book. I'm, got, I'm on the search. 
Anyway, you that's know, all I have to say. I'll tell you how I got my TRC book. Uh, those NDPers that lost their jobs, uh, I got a copy because all of the NDPers for Rachel Notley was told to have all the volumes of the TRC. And one that lost their job uh, gave away all their books, and that's how I got them. So, oh, yeah. like, just to give you an idea, there's a, a lame politician somewhere that lost their jobs that will get rid of their, like, this is so, I watched the uh, Calgary police get a copy of these, and, um, you know, like, I said to them repeatedly, like, if you, if you're not using them, if they're just collecting dust on a shelf, please give them back because these yeah. are so critical and these copies are so little. Um, so for folks who are listening nationally, it's really important that you understand the devastation that uh, colonialism and the Indian Act have done. So the dysfunction you hear about um, the reservations is directly impacted because of the Indian Act and the very small scope of what they're able to do as chief and council I absolutely never blame chief and council for the condition on the res, whereas Canadians have been taught, thanks to John A. Macdonald and his um, commissioners, uh, to hate Indigenous people. And they perpetuate these myths since the start of Confederation that Natives are to blame when we aren't. We are not giving proper dollar-to-dollar -dollar funding and we are not giving proper governance with the Indian Act to be able to distribute the uh, funds in that you would run a municipality, township, county, um, anything with. So when you hear Kathy talk about these things, there is, um, you know, six years of us dissecting the problem of the Indian Act and how it um, continues to pro be the problem today. And prior to colonialism, we had our traditional governance and our traditional justice that uh, Canadian mainstream society has stripped from us. So do we have the opportunity to go back to old ways? Absolutely. Are we given proper resources to do that? No, not even slightly, right? So, um, so for any Canadians who might be judging it, or even if you're Indigenous and you're like, wow, we do it to ourselves, you have some internalized hate to deal with. And for Canadians, you need to really unpack, like we have done so many books, Clearing the Plains, Lost Harvests, The Truth and Reconciliation Commission, 21 Things You Should Know About the Indian Act. We have a long list of books that we've done. So before you go around judging natives for, you know, these conditions, please remember that this is long standing. And if you were to read even just the inquiry book, this would give you that context as well. So um, with that, we will pass it around. Do oh, you want to, yep, you absolutely, Kathy, go back. Yeah, I just wanted to say that you reminded me, I was very disappointed in the, in the introduction part where they were talking about how the, the commission had asked for the money to go to a lot of the grassroots Indigenous uh, groups across Canada, and none of them were given any money. It all went to... Um, I'm not sure what the exact word is, but you know, like registered charitable organizations or whatever. Uh, so even from the start, this was a flawed system because you know, like they they didn't even listen to to what they were asking of of the government to to fulfill their mandate. They weren't even listened to. It's just indigenous voices are just 
never really listened to. And, and it's about time that we are heard. So I'm just going to build on that, Kathy. You're 100% right. So I'll tell you my history with this. The, the reason why this matters so much to me and it absolutely has broken my spirit is that, uh, so I, I'm a child of domestic violence. My white father and my um, Dene mom just beat the shit out of each other. And those were my first memories of life. Um, at that time, Awutan Healing Lodge did not exist. And uh, because of racism, my dad got full custody of us as well. Um, you know, it, in, in his mind, he was doing the right thing. And I'm not going to disagree with that in any capacity. I just know that my aunt became a lawyer and she fought tooth and nail to try to have equal access so that my brother and I would see them both equally. And that wasn't the case. It was the opposite. It was like a total pitch job to, against uh, Indigenous, against Indigenous women, and against my mother. So I have, I've had to be in counseling like my entire life, unpacking all of that. But so to me, when I really did unpack it, I recognized that what happened between my father and my mother is literally the story of Indigenous people versus Canada. So that's why, of course, I got so political. Um, so I went to Montreal in 2014 to talk about uh, how Two-Spirit are excluded from the conversation of gendered violence and racism and um, got my, my policy there. And that was when we all passed the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women Inquiry Policy. Uh, from there, when we finally won government, it took a while to get that process going. And um, we had Bridget Tolley came to our convention and she was the one who taught me, bring your reports. So you all know me, I come around everywhere with a wheeled uh, briefcase that has all these stacks of reports and books. And I bring them everywhere I go when I'm at the tables and I stack them in front of me and I tell them, Here's your 94 calls to action. Here's your 231 calls to justice. Here are your local reports with recommendations that you yourselves have chosen not to implement. And back to your point, Kathy, I've always been a grassroots activist. I have never collected a single dollar from the government on any of this for that reason, um, because they will only um, recognize nonprofits. Ironically, it was Harper and Rona Ambrose that dismantled the Sisters in Spirit nonprofit. And a lot of people don't remember that because they're new to the movement. But I know my, I'm new to the movement too, but I'm, I'm working on the backs of a lot of women from my aunt to many other people who have done this work. So you can imagine me being a federal liberal with the Indigenous Peoples Commission that has pushed this and every freaking convention since implement 231 calls to justice, create a framework, change the legal system, deaf ears over and over and over. And there's nobody to hold them to account. The NDP would happily kill a bunch of indigenous women in order to steal their land and lay some pipelines and have union jobs do it. The conservatives are happy to kill indigenous women so that we can take all the land. So like these colonial parties are absolutely the problem and never the solution. They could be the solution, but they'd have to see us as people, which they still, still to this day do not. So you can imagine how, you know, when you talk about that, it's 100% true. It hurts my heart and I have to stay at this table until, until, until. 
And um, I know Rachel Notley won't hear it from me, and I don't know if she'll hear it from Marilyn Northpay again, but we have to get more Indigenous people at the table. And I always feel guilty because if we get Marilyn there, will she become the next Jody Wilson rainbow that the colonial parties will use their, you know, bullying against and then kick her out? Right. So there's there's such a double edged sword of trying to advocate for your people, knowing full well, like hey, if you guys need a knife, like I got 20 right now in my back, you can have one, no problem. Right. And and that's colonial politics. So and like average Canadian, they don't even know the difference between municipal, provincial, or federal issues when you door knock. So you're you're like, and whereas our people, we have to know every detail of their stupid colonial system plus our traditional governance plus how to integrate them into canadian law when they won't even recognize the doctrine of discovery so like it, the 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 barriers stacked up against us are so high and canadians are like but there's the playoffs you know like the priorities are so ridiculous so i hear you and I hope you hear me, but I, I wish there were more people who gave a, a shit at the table making these changes. Because you don't see, like, other than two people that are at this table right now, who's doing reconciliation work across this country? That's, that's non-native, right? Anyway, so I'm going to go with uh, the list. So we have Kat, Rosemary, uh, Lexi. Rossman, Wendy, and have you, were you able to read? What did you read? What are your thoughts? And go cat, go. Oh my God, I'm on the spot. Um, I read uh, most of the preface and both of the chapters and I just finished under the wire today as well. Um, uh, I'm so grateful to be, um, finally starting to read this report. I knew we were going to get to it eventually. So um, I'm really grateful because I find it every page I've got something marked on. It's so impactful. Um, I think every settler Canadian should read this report, period. Um, and just on page 111, um, this is what I think settler Canadians should should internalize is um, the four, four pathways that maintain colonial violence. These four pathways continue to enforce the historic and contemporary manifestations of colonialism that lead to additional violence. They are historical, multi-generational and intergenerational trauma, social and economic, economic marginalization, maintaining the status quo and institutional lack of will and ignoring the agency and expertise of Indigenous women, girls, and the two-spirit LGBTQIA people. And I look forward to reading more about that in, in this report. And I just loved how, yes, they center women as sacred beings and um, so, so important to their nations. And the last thing I'm going to say is yes, Western uh, colon colonialism has also placed women at the bottom of the the status too. So I'm not saying that's comparable, but it's something that you know patriarchy is. We have to fight that too. And 
on top of the racism and everything else. Yeah. I'm done. <laughs> sure. Rosemary? You're muted. As you know, because my little iPad doesn't allow me to listen to PDFs, I haven't been able to enter into um, this reading. And I'm really disappointed because I always feel that, um, I mean, the, the TRC calls, you know, so great to go through those, to hear the, the parts of the reports that you read to us. But I, but I think women bring a very different perspective and a richer perspective. And I, 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 did, I did jump to the calls around um, uh, child welfare because that's an issue we're gonna be, we're looking at in the Reconciliation Action Group. And, and just at first glance, there seems to be so much more there than there was in the calls for the TRC. Um, I actually put a call into, I didn't know who I was phoning. It just said, you could contact this number for follow-up. And I ended up leaving a message to the Privy Council office saying, I want to access this and I have low vision. Where can I get an audio copy? Because I think they have a responsibility to make sure that this is accessible for everybody to be able to read. It's anyway, just leave it, leaving it at that. Um, and so I'm really appreciating being able to be here and listen to what other people thought of what they've been reading so far. And it's reinforced, right? This initial feeling of mine that um, it's gonna be a much richer, um, how can I put it, learning uh, because it is coming from women's perspectives. I mean, it, it, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. <clears throat> Well, before you mute yourself, um, we'll just let the team know we, you and I had this conversation offline. And um, I think what I'm going to do is just start to read it in sections and post it. And we'll put the audio files up so that that way other folks can access it as well. And I've talked to my husband about it and we'll just make it another stream through Native Calgarian so that we can get it up there. And um, to me, I, I think it's critical. Um, information that you know folks should be able to listen just as well and i think in a post-covid time where indigenous were disproportionately affected anyway like we need audio files a hundred percent um i found it really hard after i got covid um at the start of covid to read to mm. to keep keep reading it and my brain my brain fog was too thick i could hardly read and that was really hard for me. I had a lot of depression over that. Mm -hmm. So, and then, you know, as I get older and I age and, you know, I know my eyes are getting worse and worse. So, you know, Rosemary, I, I want to accommodate you in the best way I can and I can right now. So that's something that I'm going to put effort towards because I don't think there's anything more important than this inquiry. Right now, uh, Canadian society, they like men because they're patriarchal to add to what Kathy and Kat were saying. And a lot of native men benefit by financially and more 
by being able to be the top dog. And that's a huge problem in our society because they all, uh, Canada already hates natives and then they hate native women the most because we're the ones that reproduce the inherent land title holders. We're the ones. So, you know, it, it's really important by Canadian standards to eliminate us. And that's why when I say, yeah, I have an Indian Act and Post status card, but it's just a colonial construct to steal the inherent rights from non-status natives. And that's not okay. And that's why the United Nation Declaration of Rights of Indigenous People is so important because that document's clear. I, I don't give a fuck about making new Indian Act laws like Rust Ivo goes over. He's a man, you know, I, whatever. But when we start talking about our inherent rights, Kathy is a Cree woman. She has inherent rights to this land. I don't care what anybody says. These half, half ideas and notions are bold because at the end of the day, our people were raped, you know? And anybody who knows any history of Europe knows that's what those folks do as an agent of warfare. So they come here and they did it. So to me, you know, if you have an indigenous mom, you have rights to this land. So anyway, I don't mean to go off on a tangent there, but I wanted to emphasize Rosemary's point that there, I have not found audio files, but I have every intention of creating them in order for the book club to be successful and hopefully the 231 calls to justice to be implemented. So. Yeah, and Michelle, I'd be happy to make a donation, right, to you, to Native Calgarian, because that is so much work to read. I know, but so, it has to get done. Thanks, Rosemary. Yeah, but, but I will do that. Thanks. So, Lexi? Oh, go ahead, Kat. Sorry, I was going to say, or volunteer to uh, put the PDF on a Word doc that Rosemary could read. Oh, wow. It, let, let, let me check if I can read those other things you put oh, in a Word document okay. to make sure that process works. Because sometimes people have used that process and it's still, I don't know, not working. So let me check those articles, but thank you. We can talk you. about it later. Okay, great. Yeah, thank thank you. you. Awesome. My two allies that do all the work. Turtle here in consists. Um. Okay, so there was a few things, well, there was lots of things that stuck out to me. Um, but I think one of the major things to me that stuck out was Shoot, Lexi, I think I muted you accidentally. Nope. I think you're just muted, so I'm sorry. No, that's okay. Can you hear me? Okay, so page 169. Um, they're talking about um, prior to the interference of missionaries and later the state, um, many indigenous women, both First Nations and Inuit acted as midwives. And they're talking about birth and um, the child and the mother and kind of that role and how it's been documented and how important women were to that whole kind of 
system and how documented that process was. Um, I thought that was so interesting. And it goes on kind of to talk about how, how it's more documented for, for Indigenous women than it ever really has been for um, North American women, which I thought was fascinating. Um, mostly because I think a lot of, there's a lot of racism surrounding um, documentation sometimes. Does that make sense? Like, I, I know, like, my mom says, like, weird racist stuff sometimes surrounding, like, that. And I just thought, this is great that there, that this has been documented, um, that there's many ways of knowing things. And I was, I was, I just, I really, that just struck a chord with me that I was a fan of just that particular part. And then also um, something that I, I really enjoyed was, um, well, not enjoyed, but something that um, a few pieces that stuck with me were language bits, um, like Anishinaabe language um, and pronouns. There's a bit on page 136 about that, um, that there's a characterization of, um, there's not, um, it doesn't, Sorry, where is this? It doesn't denote um, feminine and masculine pronouns, rather animate and inanimate pronouns, which I thought was very interesting, uh, especially because right now, you know, especially if you're on Twitter, there's a lot of people who are like, oh, the pronouns are coming for you. And I just think it's, it's very interesting. You know, there's systems of being that, that don't require feminine or masculine ways of knowing, right? Um, I'm going to um, encourage a book for you that we had done, and it's called The Importance of Monogamy. And it's mm -hmm. about settler nation, nation building here and how, um, and I tell people this, that, you know, colonization brought the straight agenda because it is true. And um, you'll see me sometimes put she, her, they, and them if I have enough uh, space because we had to invent um, feminine and masculine um, pronouns in our language because we didn't have them. Mm -hmm. It was forced upon us with colonialism. Yeah. And um, that particular book really talks about how they colonized the West, which was really relevant to me as a drafter in geomatics, because um, I know geomatics is how we uh, surveyed the West in order to do land parcels, in order to give the, the land was specific, the land and the right to vote were specific to white male Christians. And, mm -hmm. um, and that's why the importance of monogamy, um, identifying as a Christian and then marrying, um, this was all relevant in order to own the land. And that was part yeah. of the Western nation building. So, and, and when you talked about midwifery, um, I don't know if you know this, but I actually got midwifery funded in Alberta. 
because mm -hmm. of what happened with my daughter. I was one of those red alert, um, red flagged births because, you know, God forbid a status woman actually give birth at the Peter Lockheed. And as a result, um, the trauma that I endured and thankfully, like here I am, a supposed professional drafting wells and pipelines, uh, being a contributor to society, you know, having being married to a man, a white man by their standards, and they still red flagged me and my baby. Yeah. So, like, just to give you that idea, so Manmi Bular was the uh, conservative here that he came to my door. So the man, his predecessor for my area was Hung Pham. And this guy, he's still wanted by Canadian police. And um, he did some dirty deeds, whatever. So I, I tried to talk to him before that publicly came out about the need to have accountability in healthcare. And um, he didn't care because, you know, he's a dirty, corrupt guy. He doesn't care about women, let alone Indigenous, let alone the role he was supposed to have. So when Manmeet showed up at my door, I ripped a strip off of him and told him and his his party was a piece of you know what and um you know he took it and because his aunt was a midwife and he was a you know young lawyer trying to prove himself in the party he worked with the health minister to get midwifery funded so may oh. 5th while it's red dress day it is also the um anniversary of the international day of the midwife and that day is now funded in Alberta because man meet Bular. So if if and when uh, Jason Kenny goes after midwifery, you can just remind him he's going after the legacy of one of his own men. Um, because how you talk to conservatives, they don't have morals or ethics. So yet they only talk about money. money yeah. So when I talked to him, I gave him the financial reasons why we should uh, fund midwifery how much right. cheaper it is than it is to fund um, obstetricians and such and he agreed and but he yeah. already had the background knowing so you know at the end of the day um, that is a reproductive right I had to fight for so that's another talking point when talking to these stupid uh, pro-lifers so they never lifted a finger for midwifery they never lifted a finger for um, women's rights to give birth so they can shut the hell up yeah Huh. That's that I had no idea. That's fascinating. <sighs> I also didn't know May 5th was uh International Day of the Midwife. Yeah. Yeah. It's in my yeah. daughter's birth story, the Hansard for that day because of it. Wow. The only highlight of that fucking birth. That's ridiculous. Yeah, they stripped that. I wanted to have more kids, and I knowing now what I sh what I know I should have, but I I just didn't have it in me. I still don't yeah. know if I'm healed enough to really talk about that stuff. That's terrifying and awful. Yeah, no accountability in healthcare. No. So, anything else that you wanted to add about uh, the inquiry that you found interesting? No, I think. I think those were kind of my um, my two major things that stuck out for me. There was lots of things, but I kind of just I took screenshots and highlighted the the main points. And as I was going through them, I was like, I don't even know. <laughs> I need to find a better way. Yeah.
That sounds good. All right, Kath. See you in a minute. Uh, Rossman. All right, my sir. You're you're my vote for my area, hey? <laughs> I hope so. Thank you. <laughs> uh, but um, Michelle, first, I would like to thank you for inviting me in this space. I really do appreciate that, and I um, and I'm here as learning as a settler and also as a teacher, because most of the time. You know, I'm doing my master's at the University of Calgary and I'm doing the interdisciplinary studies and we've done, my professors incorporated uh, a lot of, you know, indigenous, the, the reports, the TRCs, the TRC and whatnot in, uh, in, in, our, um, in our syllabus. And there were times that I always feel that, no, this is not enough for me as a teacher. You know, because when I think about when I think about all the things that I am learning about the colonization, the indigenous history, um, the missing and murdered indigenous women and girls and two spirited people, I still sometimes, not sometimes, but most of the time, there's that heavy burden in my chest because. I'm part of the institution. I, I am a teacher and, and that institution is part of, of that, those institutions that denies the rights of the indigenous peoples here in Canada. And this is and 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 this is not just here in Canada, it's also happening in the Philippines with the Lumad people that we have. You know, the Lumads, the Bangsamoros. Uh, and I am educated in a colonial colonial system in the Philippines. Philippine Normal University is a, is a, is a state university and developed by the Americans to basically educate the public. But um, going back to, so I'm here to learn more and um, to, to understand more and thank you for providing the space. I, I really do appreciate it. Um, with, with the report, I, I was absolutely, there are th things that I was really thrilled about, you know, thrilled because they really emphasize the notion of the encounter and the relationship. I thought it was very beautiful, beautiful in the sense that it's also powerful that it really makes you think that these two concepts are left are, 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 are essential because it's part of the indigenous culture, but also it can be a double-edged sword. It can be a double-edged sword because relationship can provide either healing or harm, which, which to me, when I first read it, I, I, I really had to stop because what I saw was, okay, we're stuck again. But at the end of the day, or when I continued reading, the hope that I saw was listening to the stories and experiences of the of, of, of the women, of the girls that shared their story here. And, and I am always a believer of that. I always hang on to the words of Chantal when I read one of the articles that was provided to us. Um, activism 
you cannot do you cannot do that or you're doing it wrong if you're not starting with a relationship and that i, I that's always whenever i see chantal i always i always say that that's the one that i always hang on to you know um and positioning positioning the stories as the center for 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 all for the healing i thought that was very powerful and i also wrote a lot here this is again going back to the institution in the um i did not put the the page number here where in fact that institution challenges as individuals um or basically it's the biases and stereotypes that makes the institution not advance um, the rights of the indi indigenous women and girls and to us LGBTQ plus. And to me, it with the lack of political will, that is really, you know, hard and frustrating. And again, I'm heading to that. You know, I'm heading to that. You want to be an ally. You try, you, you try, and as a teacher, you try to learn. However, you're stuck. Uh, I, to me, that's what I feel, I'm stuck. But I guess with this, this is the start. And I hope that I would learn more not to perpetuate the violence that has been happening over generations and generation. And for now, I will ask permission. I will make mistake, but please do not be shy in calling me out. <laughs> well, my brother who is uh, stuck in this city with me as a, as a Filipino Canadian, I know you are not, you know, not getting racism every day too. I know you are not, you know, it, it's, it's everywhere here and people try to pretend it's not but it is and it's not fair so you know again just as i'm a straight cis able-bodied person trying to do better for folks in the disability community as well as you know lgbtq2 plus we just we got to do this together arms locked and figure it out and um and and vice versa if i make mistakes on uh, cultural culturally appropriate inappropriate wording when it comes to you know um the experience of of a new canadian my my stepmother is from austria so obviously she has white privilege but the immigrant experience wasn't fun for her her family either and i'm not trying to pretend that it's um you know i understand i just watched her you know her name rosvita pirage it was rose we her name is Rose now, right? And and to try to like that conversation of anglicizing everything and uh, trying to fit in and their Austrian accents would never allow them to, especially my um, you know grandparents, great grandparents, right? So it, it's it's not fun. It's it's a hard road. And we I just came from the Calgary Police Service. We had our anti-racism advisory meeting. And a lot of the issues that, you know, the South Asian community was facing and a lot of the gun violence and such. And like, we're still trying to get back to basics of how hard it is to integrate into Canadian society. 
when you're trying to go through all these colonial constructs and language barriers and racism and you know and 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 so i hope you know you are welcome to make mistakes here but uh, the reciprocal is i know we're learning from you too so and i voted for robin luff to be uh, like our teacher our ndp for this area and vice versa or vote for you because we need good people there i need a man of color who's a teacher from my area need that so uh wendy you want to chime in here about where what your thoughts were from the inquiry maybe some of the things you heard etc and go just kidding thank you um so I, I made a lot of notes. I'm just gonna pick one or two small things um, to share here, but many of the notes were really just for my own um, digestion because it was such rich information. I, I agree with what's already been said about um, just the focus on relationship encounters. I found very helpful um, to think about because everyone's had, Un, untold numbers of relationship encounters just with anyone that you go out and you interact with um especially right now uh at this point in the pandemic i think we're all um kind of relearning how we have relationship encounters with people and kind of that reminds us kind of where we are but what i liked uh what i wrote down about that was both thinking about that on our own and and at every level of society so i i found that very helpful um i also took a lot away from um how well they described intersectionality and the complexity that's being described so i really thought um i i, I do a lot of thought as i do these readings on on all of the experiences i've had i've had a very white settler experience of life and it um this is a whole new um, lens for me to think back on many relationship encounters over time and kind of unpack what those meant. But what I thought was very helpful with the um, way intersectionality was described was talking about, so I had drawn, I tried to draw a little version for myself of the, the overlapping areas and emphasis on this is structural forces, this is aspects of identity and also types of discrimination. So I liked that that was all laid out because I think um, in having conversations with with people about any aspect of this, um, you can't get to those deep, all those deep pieces in quick encounters, um, but it, it should be informing how we approach any encounter. So I, I very much appreciated that. Um, I, I also took a lot away from, so um, the part where it talked about institutions and systems creating the conditions for violence to be possible. And then it laid out all these various systems. So child welfare, justice, healthcare, police, schools, universities, even some advocacy, and then the result being it gets placed on the individual. So I took a lot away from that because I think to me it gave even more strength to why it would be so important to pay attention to each person's story and then put it within that intersectional context. So I really, um, I found that that 
I guess, gave voice to the power of those stories and, and why um, that's where to focus. And then the last note I wanted to make was just, um, I've heard this many times before, but it really stands out um, in this report so far, is that emphasis that all white settlers need to think about is that imposed solutions that aren't bringing in the knowledge of indigenous people are not going to work. Um, and I think that that's a message that is really hard for white settlers, especially well-intentioned white settlers to accept and understand that yes, there still are things that they can do if it's not their idea. Um, I, I think that that is a really important part because I think um, that's the part for me that is, is um, difficult uh, for people to not just here, but also to, to integrate that into how they're going to approach um, their day to day. And that it, it reminds me of learning about leadership and how leadership doesn't, you're not always at the front of the room. The leader is not always at the front of the room and kind of reminding people, you know, leadership also means letting um, people who have the knowledge that's needed to lead. Um, and, and to be an individual leader can mean doing a lot of listening and, and, and doing your part. So I think there were a lot of a lot of those pieces, and then the rest was really just digesting those stories um, and reminding myself of of how powerful each one of them is. That's great feedback. Thank you. Um, there's two things I wanted to acknowledge today. One was that um, today was the first day of Batash, uh, so this anniversary is pretty critical for uh, Métis. But it is actually um, important for all First Nations because uh, I had to skim through stupid um, last lost harvests by uh, Sarah Carter and clearing the plains by J James um, Daschuk. I, I probably said that name wrong, uh, but it's so frustrating reading through them because that's the foundation of the things that were done to us, and it was all rooted because the stupid Indian commissioner who I named today on Twitter. He um, just hated First Nation and Métis, and he used the rebellion um, of Riel to use against us. He was the one who really created the good Indians and bad Indians concept, like um, who are loyal and who are disloyal, and whoever's disloyal gets lesser. And he was the one who made the past system. So why was I, why was I even talking about this? What were you were just saying something that I was adding this to this conversation? The importance of May 9th. The importance of, thank you. So, anyway, today is the anniversary of the uh, start of Batosh, the Battle of Batosh. And so, for folks who haven't been there, I was lucky enough to go there and I got to see the church with the bullet holes. They kept the bullet holes right in the church. So, for folks who don't know, uh, maybe nationally, but um, the Métis hid in the church, hoping, believing that the Canadian government wouldn't shoot them in there, and they did, and a lot of them died, and the grave is right there. Now it's like a national historic site where they put a bunch of white settlers in there pretending to care about First Nations, and, you know, um, it's kind of a thing, but if you go for Batash days, it's, um, it's Métis-led and with Métis elders there, like folks who literally, their, their uncle was shot and killed there. 
um, I have a neighbor and normally she's at this book club, so I might reach out to her, but her, her, <laughs> her, her, like great uncle or great grandfather was like, you know, when the horses take one limb each and drag you, yeah, that's what happened. So that's the, what the Canadian government did to her family. Um, anyway, really important day as we talk about these issues, because that those battles and such, that was the foundation to the genocide against us, right? Because they knew we had inherent rights then, let alone now to this land. And then another thing I want to bring to your attention that I thought was really re relevant out of today, out of all days, was that there was, um, a feminist alliance like a national group that put out an an article and i'm just looking it up on my twitter because i had shared it right away as soon as i seen it and palm and pam palmater is one of the contributors to it so i thought it was really important um, and it's basically calling out the sexism and the racism in the rcmp and um i'm already scrolling and scrolling and already not there how many times do i freaking tweet in a day Holy, but I just want to label it so that folks who are listening nationally can hear this and look it up, even though I shared it and um, have tweeted a billion things since. Okay, so here it is. The toxic culture, the toxic culture of the RCMP, misogyny, racism, and violence against women in Canada's National Police Force, and it's dated for May um, 2022. And it was put together here by the Canadian Feminist Alliance for International Action. And one of the contributors is Pamela Palmater, one of our uh, leaders. She's a, an Indigenous prof and lawyer out East, and she was like the spokesperson for Idle No More. She's of uh, Mohawk dis, uh, descent, so she has that in her um, fighter. <laughs> anyway, this page. Um, uh, one of 56, so it's a 56 page report that uh, really unpacks a lot of that. And there's a letter here to the current government talking about these issues, the duty to prevent, investigate, persecute, provide redress. And all of this is relevant as we're going through the inquiry because most of the inquiry stories as you get further into it is all about how crappy the policing and the justice system is against our people. Thank you, Kat. Kat added it in our um, comment section. Uh, you know, folks, if you're not here, it's too bad because you're just getting this stuff real time. Really encourage you to join our book club, but I'll probably add it too. Kathy, go ahead. Um, this is something kind of off topic, but I, I it's... On Friday, right after the red dress day on Thursday, uh, somebody at work asked me what I thought about how, he said that there was some government agency that was putting out information saying that they, that there, there was no graves, that it was all, that they were empty spaces and stuff. Like, I don't know where he was getting his information, but it, I found it quite um, disturbing because I, found out Thursday night about my own aunt, my firstborn um, aunt, my grandparents' firstborn child, uh, passed away at residential school. Her gravesite is officially marked um, unknown. So she is one of those bodies that is missing at Onion Lake Residential School. 
Um, I always knew that there was one of their kids that had passed away and they were never told. They were told when she didn't come home from school at the end of the year. So three months later or whatever, they, they finally found out that she had passed. No body was ever returned. Um, so I found it really disturbing to have somebody at work just be so dismissive, like Canadian culture is so dismissive of everything. It's like, oh, well, somebody somewhere said that the, the, that the grave sites are there, that there's no bodies. So therefore it didn't happen, you know, like that's what it felt like. And so I just said, you know, I told him like, my aunt is one of those people that went missing back in 1937 shortly before her 14th birthday. And I just, I started making a, a pin to wear with, with her name on it, because I just think like she had gone through all that hell, 10 or 10 years of hell. She had almost made it through because at 15, you were released from prison, you know? So she had almost made it. It was three months before her 14th birthday. So she only had one more school here to make it through and, and she passed away. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to point out how, how no matter what we say, nothing we say is believed by the majority of Canadians because it, I guess it just makes them feel less guilty. It makes them feel better. They don't have to acknowledge that this has been a pretty freaking horrible place for, a, for First Nations people, even though it is our country. One, launch a fucking complaint against that motherfucker. Two, here's the thing. There's a, a conservative think tank that tries really hard to pretend like, um, you know, anything to dismiss and undermine Indigenous people. Tom Flanagan used to be a part of that crew, right? And he's still a part of that crew. But this is a talking point they're putting out there in order to try to undermine the whole process because they know it's going to be time until we actually dig out the graves if we do it all. But here's the thing. And I'll, I'll tell you this. So when the flood happened in 2013, a lot of the graves at the Dun, Dunbo um, Indian um, Industrial School, they were uncovered because of the stupid um, change in the river because of the way it carved out the world. So they actually did transfer a lot of those graves then into the community, right? So whenever, whenever you hear that, I always use that link as, as a as a rebuttal to all of the folks to remind them. And I actually, cause I grew up in Sylvan Lake. It was actually uh, the Red Deer Industrial School that's right by Fort, Fort Normando that has the highest amounts of deaths. And um, now it's private land and some fuckface is actually farming over it because they can, because that's settler colonialism, right? So I talk about that, how a lot of our unmarked graves are literally being farmed over. And that Dunbo, the, the farmer wouldn't let me on his land, even though it was like it's supposed to be public land. So I was going to launch a complaint but that would mean, mean working with Leela here, who you all know I already tried to work with when it came to my daughter's school of trying to keep it open. And she's like totally useless. So why would I? So it's like all these level of barriers that I have to work at. It's like, what is going to be my human rights thing I'm going to work on today? Because every day it's this. So your voice is being silenced by your own coworkers because of their internalized racism, probably, but also because of their settler colonial belief system. Like we need a process that when these people do that, like you are facing 
discrimination, racism, and sexism at work. And most people don't even want to name it. I've had to work so hard to get settlers to see the racism that I face every single day, let alone by these stupid institutions, by like the Calgary Board of Education, et cetera, right? So never, like I back you any way I could because that is unacceptable. It should be unacceptable across the nation that people think it's okay to say that to indigenous people. But one of the reasons, like I gotta whitewash my stupid resume and go back into the workforce because I sure ain't making money <laughs> giving free indigenous education. So with that, I have to go back and, and, and I know every single day, it'll be another stupid thing said. Um, me and the Crazy Bull family went to Red Dress together and we got um, harassed and hit by a, um, a man on a bike. And it was like, here's the mother of a child who was shot and killed by the police. And she was feeling unsafe enough that she was still on the security phone asking the security from transit to come help us. Thankfully, the C train came. We got on it. He didn't. But God, it's every freaking day, every day. So it's unacceptable that was said to you. I'm sorry, Kathy. Please let me arm you with links in any capacity I can. And anybody listening nationally, start challenging this. It shouldn't be on me and Kathy. If you claim to be a fucking ally, do this work. So it's not on us. So we could actually maybe even enjoy a day. Could you imagine if we had one single day without racism? One single day in this country. <laughs> that makes me, uh, reminds me of the last time I went to the dog park with my little dog. I, um, I'm walking, it's very quiet because it was in the middle of the day on work day. And there's this older white gentleman coming towards me and I smile and nod my head at him and he actually grimaced. He actually was so taken aback that I would even attempt to communicate with him. He actually grimaced at me instead of acknowledging my existence. And I just was um, really hard for me to not just say, well, get off my land then you motherfucker is what it felt like saying to him, you know, right. like, right. just like, get out of here. This is, I'm enjoying my day till I came across you, buddy. <laughs> right. Lexi asked the question, what is the name we all belong to? And it's the Reconciliation Action Group. And this is the type of stuff I'd love for you to be a part of. Rossman, um, you had said, I wasn't able to see my notes, but I meant to talk earlier about how stereotypes and biases play out in maintaining the status quo. And that frustratingly, it is easy for the system, police, for example, to focus on individual failings or personal failings of Indigenous people and racialized folks. With that focus comes further violence as stereotypes and biases prolific, proliferate. Would you like to chime in? You're more than welcome to. Kathy, your hands up. I just forgot to take it down, sorry. <laughs> I figured. Rossman, you're still muted. Uh, no, I just uh, really want to emphasize that because it's, again, it's a reality slap, you know, that cannot be denied and it's there. And everyday folks, the indigenous folks and racialized folks, we encounter that every day. No wonder our health is not okay. <laughs> Gosh, yes. 
cautious. So, Michelle, yep, do, you, do you know what the name of that uh, think tank is? Yeah, it's like, um, well, McDonald and Laurier is not right. That is a liberal and conservative think tank that I think are still stupidly conservative. Fraser Institute, that's it. Right. That's the ultra conservative try to justify genocide group. And every every time they kind of come out with something, I just because I, I, I won't even read it. I just know it's wrong. Mm -hmm. So it just it's so upsetting. But anyway, they're the folks that uh, are trying to do denialism. And I, I think like these are the same folks. So I grew up in Sylvan Lake and down the street in Innisfail, they were burning crosses and doing a lot of uh, Holocaust denial. Um, this is where Kistra was from, you know, like, like, I'm not joking, like I come from the base of conservatism right wing belief system that they tried to deny the Holocaust and now they're trying to deny Indian residential school um, examples, even though we literally have graves to prove it right and we've had we've had to do the transfer already and my um, Indian residential school that my granny went to up in Port Providence like it already had pre-existing um, monument erected in order to talk about the amount of people that were killed there. So like anybody who tries to deny it, like it, it's a part of historical record and it, it's ridiculous, um, but it is the, a form of denialism that we're gonna have to constantly combat, but it shouldn't be, on, the onus should not be on indigenous people. Like that, sh it's just like we shouldn't, um, you know, and people hate it that I keep talking about Germany as a comparison, but you know, the Jewish population didn't need statues in schools named after Hitler to know what Hitler did to them. Like, I don't need to put any indigenous kids into these institutions that are named after these genocidal maniacs that were happy to starve and kill our people. So all of this is the root of, of everything we're talking about because this the Indian Act was based off of men, which was the first elimination of the Indigenous woman and her inherent rights to the land, family, culture, language, connection, everything, right? Which is everything we're talking about. Um, it's already eight o'clock. So um, I, if you have to go, I totally understand. If you wanna do uh, some closing last thoughts, please, by all means, uh, chime on in and Kathy, I'll open it up to you first and or, you know, you can chime in throughout this entire thing and then we'll go Kat, Rosemary, Lexi, Rosman, Wendy. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm pretty good. I just uh, been working my fingers to the bone. I've almost made myself a little orange pin, like not, not that small. It's actually quite big. Um, and I've just been thinking a lot since since Friday, I started it Saturday, I guess. Um, my, my auntie was Beatrice, Priscilla Beatrice. She went by B and uh, she was murdered in 1937. So I've been thinking about her a lot. Um, she would have been the oldest of, of all the aunties and uncles. And yeah, I just find it really hard to, um, because that was also at the same time that my grandfather got put into jail because he dared to sell a cow to get money to buy lumber because his twins had passed. 
So he lost three of his children within a few months of each other. And he got thrown into jail for six months for daring to sell a cow. So yeah, when people, yeah, a lot of anger, <laughs> uh, there's a lot of healing. And I, I really wish that a lot of the Europeans in this country would um, open their minds and their hearts. Thank you for sharing that, Kathy. I wish that too, Kathy. And I just want to say to you, Kathy, you are already awesome. <laughs> so I, I just um, wish you all the best on your journey to get awesomer. And um, wanted to thank Michelle, as always, um, for all her hard work. And I'm so grateful to be part of this group. And um, yeah. I put um, the email to the Reconciliation Action Group in our chat. So if you want to join our mailing list, just email us and we'll stick you on it. And our next meeting is May 15th at 4 p.m. special time. Um, let me know and well, I'll send out a reminder this week with the link to the group. It's a Zoom, Zoom meeting. And we're starting to talk about um, child welfare. And probably we'll do a bit of a debrief about um, the Johnny McDonald school name change CBE trustee meeting we had. So <laughs> um, yeah, thank you everyone. I really appreciated hearing all your, um, your input as well and your perspectives. Rosemary, you're on mute. Um, yeah, thank you, uh, everybody, for being here. Michelle for organizing, uh, Kathy for sharing so much, and and I wanted to say, Kathy, and I know this can be another place of discrimination and put down. Um, so I'm just trying to work my head around how to do it, but addressing you know coworkers who think like this, that shouldn't fall solely on you. You have a, a, there's a union, but then I don't know how you feel about your union, whether they would respond or not. I don't know who's in the union. I don't know what their understanding is or not. Um, but anyway, we could talk about that later because it would be good to push the union to take a stand on this among coworkers. Why should it be up to you? Thanks, Rosemary. Lexi, did you want to chime in? Just, I'm just going down the list, folks. So Rossman, you'll be up after Lexi and then Wendy. I have asked to unmute. I see her frustrated right now with the mute button. Oops. There we go. Sorry. I'm a little special sometimes. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if I was um, as succinct as I wanted to be, but I appreciate everyone in this group and thank you so much um, to Kathy for sharing so much. Um, I really appreciated just listening um, to everything that you had to say. 
um, and to Michelle for organizing everything and to everyone else. Um, and thanks for accepting me into your group. Thanks for being here, Lexi. Go ahead, Rosman. I also, I want to echo that. Thank you for allowing us, me, to be part of this circle. I've really learned a lot today um, and being in this difficult yet hopeful conversation is, is something that, um, that I treasure. Uh, also, um, knowing, knowing all these, seeing the report, you know, sometimes you will make, it will make you realize, yeah, you really have to stop living in the head. Move you know, Rosman, I've done a lot of vigils in our area. The reason why I ran municipally and provincially was because I had yet to see a representative from this area give a flying F about it. So like, I'll, I'll tell you the names, I'll tell you their stories that are in our area. I can't drive around without knowing the names of where people were found, where we had their vigil. Like it's all in our area. And it sucks and I hate it. But, you know, I'll walk with you on all of this, as will many of our Indigenous community um, that are, are loyal to the NDP. So, you know, you, you'll have uh, Jody, her team, um, one of her sisters on her team is one of my best friends, and she was the founder of the um, Memorial March here in Calgary. So, not Jody, but her. Uh, Suzanne Dews, she she was the founder of the Valentine's Day March. So like you have folks who will help you, you know, you obviously showing up here is such a huge, like, like an, an, an automatic vote for me because it's, I need politicians that care and you clearly do to be here tonight. So I'm grateful you're here. Um, Wendy, I'll let you chime in. And as men of color, you understand racism here. Thank you. I just wanted to say um, thank you to everyone, um, especially uh, Michelle and to Kathy um, for sharing your voices and, and your experiences, but also um, for having us here in the space with you. Um, I, I know I find our conversations so valuable, um, but also quite difficult at times because I feel like every time anything I do as a white settler can be hurtful. Um, and so I'm, I apologize if I'm ever in that place, but I also just really value you, you being courageous enough to be in, holding a space like this um, where we can talk about things. And um, I, I just wanted to share really briefly, Michelle, because you were talking about Northern Alberta and uh, made some references um, to the Holocaust. And um, so uh, my a whole part of my father's family is from that side um, and in Northern Alberta. And my grandfather almost never spoke about the Second World War. Um, I knew he was in the Second World War. Um, I also now in looking back, know he had lots of lots of racist ideas mixed in with everything else. Um, one time we were playing cards at his kitchen table and um, he very briefly spoke about the second world war and he looked me right in the eye 
and said, don't you ever let anyone tell you that the Holocaust didn't happen, ever. And he just repeated it one more time. And then we moved on with the conversation. And I was a child. So I was like, what does that mean? Like, I, I, it was unfathomable to me that anyone would deny that. But now that I look back and I think about the community he was likely in and the experiences he probably had, um, I, I just find it really valuable that he chose that one snippet to say to me, um, because it does give me a little bit of hope that even in our messed up, um, you know, limited experiences and not always saying what we need to say, um, in that moment, he did say what he needed to say to me to remember that um, there were there were things he saw that were important enough to say. Um, and so just wanted to thank you and, and thank all of you for all the sharing that you do here. Um, and we'll just keep learning. So thank you. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you all for being so lovely and just caring and wanting to learn and Kathy for sharing your stories and Kat for you know, carrying on the Reconciliation Action Group and the infrastructure of the Settler Book Club, it's a lot. So I hope that over the course of time, you know, we get more people to connect like as we move forward. So anyway, with that, I'll say thank you. The um, next book coming up, okay, okay, here, here's the scoop. So I've been private messaging Jody Wilson Rainbow and asking her if she can come and she's like, I'm like, if you only come for 10 minutes, we will like lose it in happiness if you can make it even 10 minutes. So we haven't really touched base, but I, I know June is busy, but I'm hoping Indian in the cabinet will be like, boom, we'll be having, having it. So I'm hoping she'll come, but we haven't had it technically confirmed, but I, I know she's stupidly busy too. So, you know, it's, it's hard, right? Uh, but we do have confirmation from uh, Bruce McIver for um, December. This is a funny story, you guys. Um, I kind of have him confirmed for this one. And it, it's so funny because we're talking about misogynistic male natives, right? If you were to read anything that he has to say, but my dad got me this book, so I have to read it. And I know a lot of the, uh, you know, McDonald Laurier Institute folks just love to use him for his, you know, indigenous economics. So he definitely, you know, flies well in those circles. Um, but I'm hoping he'll come because at the end of the day, regardless of, you know, my, my personal feelings, it's, we, we do need to learn what worked, what didn't have an opportunity to engage with him and uh jesse wente said he'd come to our book club so he's confirmed so maybe other um folks across the nation will come once they realize that we have these cool cats coming but we'll see and uh regardless i'm really glad you all come and have continued to be coming and we have new folks here and rossman uh you and i are working on some campaigning together so Lots going on. Kat, please don't hesitate to chime in here. Yes, um, Michelle has grace, graciously allowed the Settlers Book Club to join in the August 9th, I think it is, um, because we have we're both so brilliant that we chose the same book for August. So um, we're going to join forces and um, uh, Settlers Book Club and um, are welcome to come to Indigenous Book Club and um 
we'll we'll double time it with Jesse Wenty. <laughs> He's such a cool cat. I he was one of my first big stars on my podcast. So I'm like, because I, I have this like total inferiority complex. And I'm sure after you read the inquiry, you'll understand why. And I'm like, but it was the middle of the pandemic. And at that point, I was like, well, what do I got to lose? And he came on my podcast. I couldn't believe it. This is like one of the top Canadian indigenous change makers, the guy who like really approves all the grants, the guy who's been doing like so much of the um, art scene. Oh my God, it's a freaking legend. So yeah, that was pretty cool. So, I mean, everyone is cool in their own rights, including um, uh, Chief Clarence Louie, right? Like he, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of settler economic folks who like him. So Anyway, anyway, I'm rambling. Thanks everyone for being a part of the book club. I'm going to probably put it up uh, this weekend as part of my regular podcast. Um, maybe not. I might end up doing another podcast, but it'll eventually go up. Maybe by then I'll have uh, some of the inquiry kind of read and on an audio file so that folks can access it um, because it's really important to me. This is like the basis of inherent rights to Indigenous people is through the women. And uh, Canada is still like, you know, birdcage with the blindfold. <laughs> anyway, thanks for coming, folks. <laughs>